Hey, it's Kimberly from the Start Me Up podcast. You know, we are all so grateful that COVID-19 vaccinations are underway. Unfortunately, at the very time there's light at the end of the tunnel, infection rates and hospitalizations are at all-time highs across the country. In California, some hospitals are turning away patients or they're threatening to ration care. While we're nearing the finish line for this brutal pandemic, getting there means staying safe. For the foreseeable future, only respirator face masks provide real protection from transmission. Unfortunately, the huge demand and limited supply of these respirators means we are flooded with fakes and counterfeits that do almost nothing. But right now, the new deal, Shop.com, has FDA-authorized N95 respirator masks with anti-fraud labeling on every single package, and that can be very verified right on the manufacturer's website. They're tested in the United States by the NPPTL, and they provide the most significant level of protection. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S., and they ship immediately for free. Go to the NewDealShop.com and get verified, authenticated, FDA-authorized N95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's the NewDealShop.com. Again, that is the NewDealShop.com. Go now. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., and today my returning guest is Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Now, you know I always try to keep these intros short, but today I've got a little extra special news, so just bear with me. I'm now part of Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, and as you heard at the top of the show, I'm now doing advertisements. I have a new tier on Patreon that allows patrons to listen ad-free and intro-free I'll get to that in a second. So as I said, I was, uh, I'm was i now on that network, and I was on Stephanie's show last week, and of course, I cussed, and I wasn't supposed to, but I'm such a potty mouth. So I do talk about that appearance today on my What's Up segment, and that's for patrons only. Let's get into the intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. Patrons keep this show going, and I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. If you enjoy today's show, take a look at the About page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see most of the time I talk to people about politics, but occasionally I interview actors about their craft. I used to be one. If you like the show, please consider becoming a patron for any dollar amount. You can start at $2 and upgrade uh, to 5 or $8 later. Here's what I do. I do two free shows per week on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then after every free show, I do a patrons only show called What's Up with me, Kimberly Johnson, and I talk about whatever I feel like. And then I also do patrons only shows at least once a month with a guest. So here's how it's going to work in the tiers. If you sign up for $4 or less, you're basically just saying, hey, Kimberly, I support the show. And if you do that, thank you. I appreciate it. If you sign up for $5, you get the access to both What's Up shows per week, plus you get the patrons only show with a guest. If you sign up for the $8 tier, you get everything. It's all delivered to your email box and you've got access to it all. So you get the free shows, you get the What's Up shows, you get the patrons only shows, and with the $8 tier, you get the extra added benefit of having a show that I do ad-free and intro-free. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the tiers there. You can make also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email and you can use that with PayPal. You can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes Apple Podcast Store app, become a subscriber, it's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. And then this show is also part of the Demcast Network. So two networks for the price of one. Please enjoy my conversation with Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Welcome back to the show, Majid Aka Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Yes. Welcome to me. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm I'm great. I'm just sitting here chilling in my uh, studio. Yeah. You have a uh, studio. It's a brick. It's a brick wall thing, and it's not meant for. They call these rooms uh, like three season rooms uh-huh. because it's it's not insulated. Uh, so I have a little space heater that's keeping me warm. Oh, that's fun. I like the space heaters. I used to, you know what, when I lived in California many, many moons ago, I remember it always seemed like April was the, like a chilly, chilly month. And I would always have my little space heater in front of my rocking chair like I was an old lady. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. California? Yeah, I I used to live in California. 
Yeah, I know, but chilly oh. in California? Yes, I mean, it was chilly. And you know what? It's not as, it's different now, clearly, because of ch- climate change. But uh-huh. yeah, I always would remember like April would be so chilly. And what do I'm, you call what? What do you call Chile? What's, well, what's I mean, Chile at the Chile? time, um, now I I live in Chile. I love Chile uh, because I'm older <laughs> and I'm hot all the time. So, um, uh, okay. but I mean, I think you know, like I get. I also lived in a very old building that probably didn't have any insulation. So at night, it would uh, probably go down to like the 40s. So it was pretty oh, yeah, chilly. Yeah, it was chilly. chilly. Yeah. And now I live on the East Coast, obviously, and. I do. I love the cold weather. I don't like it when it's too cold. I don't like it when it's like, like a knife slashing your face cold, which is like ten, it's like the ten degrees, twenty degrees. But I'm like my favorite kind of winter weather is probably say forty, forty five. I like that. Yeah. Like nice. It, yeah. it, it wakes you up. It makes you feel like it makes me filled with energy. And I get hot so easily. So the only mm. thing I don't like about it is that when you have to kind of dress warm. For outside, like let's say you're going shopping, then yeah. you're all like hot when you're shopping. You know, you've got your sweater uh-huh. and your socks and then it's like 70 degrees and, you know, they put the temperature at 70 degrees or whatever it is. And it's like, I just like chilly. I like to have a chilly house. <laughs> My poor boyfriend. It's funny because uh, we sleep with a little bit of a window cracked on the East Coast mm-hmm. during the, you know, dead of winter. And I have two fans blowing in my bedroom because I have to have... Uh, like that noise, that white noise. And yeah, so he yeah. refers to it like when he has to get up and go to the bathroom or get a drink, he recall he refers to it as Hurricane Alley. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're worse than me because I like to have I do like to have it chilly yeah. when I go when I go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and I do get that white noise, but the white noise, ironically, is from the little space heater that I have oh, in my bedroom. Yeah. I got a space heater there too. And um, like I like it so chilly that I actually sleep with my feet outside of the blankets. Yeah. 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 And, but then when I wake up, I'm in a cocoon and I don't <laughs> want anything to do with anything cold. No. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things in the whole world is like in the middle of the night when it's too cold, I have just one blanket on and then I have to put another blanket on and it just, I've always loved that cause I immediately fall asleep and um, I've always been like that, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be 53 in July. So I have gone through all of my, you know, womanly issues pretty much. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've gone through hot flashes, which I don't so much have hot flashes now. I just run hot. I'm just always right, hot. Right. So it's so much fun, but whatever. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I miss California a lot, but I don't miss the, I mean, I hate the summer and the East coast because of the humidity specifically and the bugs too. But, um, yeah. you know, but I, but in, in Los Angeles, Oh my God, you know, it was like, it would start getting hot in May and then it would just stay hot to November. And, mm. and God, and then we just get like in September, October was the worst. I remember right before I left, there was this huge fire, but for like, and it was across from where I lived. My, my front, like the, my window looked out onto the San Gabriel mountains, which were all on fire. And there was wow. like 106 degrees for, I don't know, like a week. And at night, yeah. you know, it was like 90. It was, I hated it. I hate that. So, you know, no matter where you go, there's always going to be some kind of shit. So <laughs> something. Yeah. We, we, uh, just uh, got, we just uh, lost most of the snow that we had up here with this past yeah. week. We had a, a lot of snow melt. So I can still look out my window and see little patches of snow, but yeah. it's nothing like it was when we got hit. You know, right. we had like 20 inches of snow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was brutal. It was. And I saw, yes, I suppose yesterday or Saturday, I actually went to the grocery store and it was funny because it was pretty, pretty warm, you know, considering it's March, early March. And it's been warm for several days, but it's funny because they're, they're still, like you said, there are these little patches of gray snow. They're so ugly. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's crazy to me that they're still there after all this time. But that's the way it goes on the East Coast. Now it's like, now we're getting ready to go in. I think it's going to be like 70 degrees on Wednesday. So Woo-hoo! we'll see what happens. It's spring. It's whether it's, it's officially spring, it feels like spring. It's but, my favorite season. Yeah. Well, my favorite season is fall. I love fall. I like the uh, colors of fall, yeah. but I do like spring too. And I was born. I was born in the spring, April twenty eighth, and I will be fifty three uh, on April twenty eighth. Well, like we're basically the same age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I got you by three months. Yeah, 
Okay, so let's start this thing, and I gotta go. Now, I want to talk about the Royals. Oh, my God. And the thing is, is that, okay, first of all, I don't really care about the Royals, and I never have. I don't know (laughs) where you stand, but, I mean, I just don't care. I I always thought Diana was interesting because, to me, she was kind of like Madonna, you know, like the singer going in there, just messing everything up and freaking them all out and, you know, and being this humanitarian, and they didn't know Mm -hmm. what to make of her, and they, they gave her such a hard time. Obviously, she's got these two sons, and... I heard about the interview and then I saw people tweeting about the interview and I didn't catch it until probably halfway. So I missed the first part, but boy, that second part, boy, that was crazy. I mean, I was really surprised that they were as forthcoming as they were about the racism. You know, so I, I have to admit I'm the same as you mm-hmm. uh, in as far as I've never really paid that much attention to the Royals. I think I paid about as much attention to them as I did to uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. You know? <laughs> right. I, I know just about <laughs> just enough to know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was just shocked personally. And, you know, you call me uh, naive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I, I was shocked that she had gotten such shabby treatment yeah. over there in the 21st century. Yeah. She seemed, they seemed like a happy couple. Right. Yeah, you know what do. I mean? Right. Uh, and a nice couple. Mm-hmm. And why would they get treated so poorly? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forget. Uh, is there, um, is there a naughty word caution <laughs> on this show? No, you could say whatever you could say, fuck or anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, shitty treatment from right. from the Royals. Um, so yeah, I had missed a good portion of that show. I was watching the uh, All Star Game with my son. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know that that was amazing, especially now. I think I have to see if I can find it. I know Sherry Jacobus had tweeted something out about she thought maybe the at the I don't know if you saw it, but at the end, Oprah did ask them about the color of the child of Archie. Yep. And so I I think by it's unclear if they had discussed that because it looked like Megan had said something to Oprah um mm-hmm. like off camera what what I understand is that um is that they said that there were conversations about the color about how dark right Archie's skin was going to be. And then Oprah asked them if they wanted to elaborate further and neither, neither of them would. And she did ask, you know, she asked, uh, she asked Megan and she asked Harry and he said he, he could not say. Yeah. um, He didn't want to, he didn't want to say, but Sherry Jacobus said, Harry said someone in the family asked about skin color of future children when he was dating Megan. Yet she said in the comment uh, that was made while she, uh, the comment was made while she was pregnant. So Megan said that that comment was made when she was pregnant. Harry had mentioned about when they were dating. So Sherry says he seemed blindsided by the question by Oprah, and it seemed he and Megan had not discussed or agreed to go public with it. So that's kind of interesting. But uh, still, I think I mean, look, like both of us, I don't really care. I, obviously, back in the day, I was aware of Princess Diana and her humanitarianism and her, you know, the, the whole thing with Camilla. I mean, I heard about it on the news, and I, but I, I didn't follow it. It's just that you hear about it just through pop culture and stuff like that. So, um, and I always, I mean, I always liked her. I always thought that Diana was cool, and I felt that she got treated like shit by the royal family. But yeah. um, interestingly, the, you know, Harry said that, it was money that was left to him by his mother that has basically saved them because you yeah. know he needs to pay for security because they stopped security on them. And mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't get any money. They don't give him anything. I don't I mean I don't know how much he got, but they don't they cut him off. I I could have sworn I saw thirty million dollars uh wow. somewhere. I can't I can't verify that because again, I you know, I have right. like a cursory glance yeah. knowledge of the whole situation. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I always thought princess Diana was, was great too. Mm-hmm. And again, that was another thing I never really paid that much attention. 
And my wife, who is from New Zealand, she, you know, she kind of grew up like absorbing a lot of that, um, that information about the Royals. And she said, yeah, like she got a raw deal from the Royal family too. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't understand that. Like, that's why I say like, you know, call me naive because <laughs> really I, I had almost no exposure. It's amazing that I've been able to keep myself in, wrapped in this hermetically sealed bubble, <laughs> you know, preventing me from learning about the Kardashians and the Royals. <laughs> you know, they should do a mashup, the Royal Kardashians. Well, have, I mean, look. Have them, have them live in the palace with the right. queen. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just a bunch of privileged white people who are clearly, uh, you know, I will say back in the day, it was in, it was on Saturday Night Live. And I, I didn't know that this was true, but I was watching Saturday Night Live and Dana Carvey was playing Prince Charles. And I mm-hmm. guess he had literally said that he wanted, he said to Camilla that he wanted to be a tampon. So like basically he could be stuck up a vagina. And, um, and so they did on Saturday Night Live, they did a whole parody oh, no. of that. And they made Dana Carvey into a tampon. And I remember thinking, I thought, I didn't know it was real. I thought they were just like jabbing the royal family. And it was like, no, he really said that. And I was like, oh, my God. That is hilarious. <laughs> but, I, That's but, hilarious. but it is. It's just it's privilege. And, you know, I mean, it's a monarchy. Give me a fucking break. The, the whole point of this country was to get rid of it. And I know over there, I know people are so... I don't know, taken with them. And I don't know why I just, I've never been taken with them. And basically I think they're snobbish and you know, they're, they, for evolved people that I don't have any use for them. I don't care what they wear. I don't care living in a fucking palace. Give me a fucking break. So, um, anyway, but I think what that, I think because we don't we don't do kings and queens. I know we don't yeah. have them. We don't have them. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I want to talk to you about because, ah, um, sorry, my picture just fell on my on my desk. Um, I'm I'm worried because I see, you know I mean there's this and I just want to know where I want to get where you are. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, there is like this hate movement across the globe. Um, and a huge part of that is white supremacy. And within yeah. white supremacy, there's also all kinds of misogyny. So, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. Um, I remember watching years ago, there was this guy, Louis Theroux, and he would like involve himself in groups. He would, he's a, he's a British uh, journalist. And so mm-hmm. like, for instance, he would go to evangelicals and he'd hang out with them and he'd interview them in depth. So in this particular series that he did, he visited the KKK. And mm. I remember, and I don't remember what year this was, but you know, let's say it was 10 years ago or more. There was this one scene where he was with these kids and these uh, you know, kids of the KKK and they were saying typical KKK it was awful it was white supremacy and I, I mean yeah. I remember being so aghast and like oh my god oh my god and it's I'm not naive I knew you know racism exists and all of that but yeah but it was like before Trump and before the I guess the Tea Party, especially before Obama became president and that hatred was really, really exposed and people felt more emboldened. It was like the the racism was still there, but it was like people didn't feel so much comfortable showing it. And so I don't know, like now I see this rise of white supremacy across across the globe and I'm feeling really fucking nervous. And I just, yeah. you know, like, what's, what is your take? And as a black man, what are you thinking about this? Well, I, I recall, uh, a few years ago, um, Steve Bannon was kind of dispatched to Europe. And I know that for a fact that he set up some kind of foundation or from some kind of school in Italy. Mm-hmm. And Italy is another place that's seeing a, yeah. a rise yeah. of white supremacy, Italy and France and all of our friends in Europe, yeah. you know, are are seeing that rise. And mostly it's being pushed behind the anti-immigration mm-hmm. thing. Um, but naturally, if you hate immigrants from Syria yeah. or from wherever, you're you're hating people of all walks of life because mm-hmm. what what's what's wrong with the Syrians besides the fact that they are running from you know certain death mm-hmm. yeah. right um, and they speak a different language everybody mm-hmm. speaks a different language yeah. for crying out loud <laughs> yeah. um, but 
yeah, as as a black man, it is it is alarming and it is concerning, but it's something that something that I've I've lived with my whole life. Yeah. It's like, you know how you said uh you hate the summers here because <laughs> of the bugs? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So racism to me is is like bugs. Like wow. especially especially here in the summer, the mosquitoes in the past three years have been awful. Mm-hmm. In the past like in the Trump era, I've been bitten by more mosquitoes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and, you know, I I wish I could we could find a better name than Karen for those right. Karen videos that keep popping up, where you know, uh, their unhinged yeah. racist behavior is is you know is infamous. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are seeing more. I know for a fact. Um, we're seeing a whole lot more of it overtly. Mm-hmm. Before, before the Trump years, it was more covert. Yes, it was. So I experienced a kind of racism where I'm trying to catch a cab and I'm dressed in a, a, a suit and I'm carrying a, a briefcase, and you know the cab will go right past me. Mm-hmm. He's available. He'll go right past me, ten yards to mm-hmm. a white man or a white woman. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, dude. He just went right past me. What's the deal? I actually, I have several times run up to those cabs and say, dude, what's your deal? Yeah. I'm standing right there. You went right past me. Wow. Uh, you know, things like being watched in a, uh, yeah. in a department store. You know, I am always, uh, I'm always conscious, conscious of not putting my hands in my pockets wow. in a certain way. If I have held, if I have picked up something in that store, mm-hmm. I am careful not to give the uh, give the impression that I have pilfered something mm-hmm. because, yeah, I'm I'm I just assume every time that I am being watched. So uh, that that definitely changes my behavior in stores, and it's just it's unconscious. Yeah, something you don't even think about because right. you're just used to it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know, and it's gotten worse. You know, that's interesting that you say that because I have a little. It's it's different, and it's not the same thing, but it's it. I think it goes to the fact that what you're dealing with as a black person is just so egregious. Because now, if I if I'm dressed up and I go to a, and I'm shopping, especially like in a clothing store, uh, mm-hmm. if I am dressed up and I look nice, everyone bends over backwards uh, to the point it's annoying. Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? Yeah. But when I go in there with no makeup and I don't make an effort with my looks, I'm completely ignored. Mm. So I just think that's interesting. It's like the way you look, no matter how you look, you get treated a certain way. So yeah. I wasn't discriminated against. I was ignored. You know, right. and so it's just it's really weird. And it, it's just well, women get a raw deal and you know, women get a, a raw deal anyway, whether it's in a store or whether it's in the media. That's a that's a whole mm-hmm. other thing yeah, right I there. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know for yeah. I know for a fact you see it all the time. People get women get uh, criticism about whether or not they smile enough yeah. or yes. they say they're too aggressive or too ambitious. Like yeah. what? They don't say that shit about men. You know? oh, oh, look at what she's wearing. Who the hell cares? And, you yeah. know, when was the last time you commented on a man's suit? Yeah. Or even if he wasn't wearing a suit, it's it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so. it's ridiculous. And unfortunately, um we just found out the other day that it was a male appointed judge by Obama or I said Obama appointed judge. It was a male. I just said that backwards. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. he decided that the 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 expired deadline on the Equal Rights Amendment, which was imposed by Congress and it was also Congress extended it. So there's precedent mm-hmm. for that. He decided that it's valid. And that means that the Equal Rights Amendment this is what really pisses me off is that while there, there were three states needed, right? So like in the, in the 1970s, they got 35 states, you need 38, and then it stalled because Phyllis Schlafly stopped it with her Stop ERA campaign and all that. And then, um, you know, there were activists that were, I became aware of it in 2012. We needed those st- three states still. And in the, in the interim, uh, from when, when the momentum had started, there was that deadline and they extended the deadline and then the deadline expired. So the idea was, all right, well, there was this three-state stra- three strategy, and 
I know that people who were advocates would go talk with, like, say, you know, officials in or leaders in Democratic leaders, even Republican leaders in, say, Illinois or Virginia or wherever. And they were told, well, you should get those states ratified first because what they were saying was remove the deadline. Can we get you to remove the deadline? We want Congress Mm -hmm. to get rid of it. And they're like, well, you should, you know, no, because you should get those states ratified first. Okay, so then we did. We did. During Trump's right. presidency, we got all three states, started off with Nevada, then it went to Illinois, then it went to uh, 2020, the beginning of 2020, Virginia did it. So now we got it, and of course, there's all these lawsuits, and there were several lawsuits, and it was brought to this judge, and he basically said, okay, well, the, uh, the deadline is valid, and so the next stop would be the Supreme Court. And I can't even tell you. As somebody who has worked hard for the ERA since 2012, Mm -hmm. this feels like such an incredible blow. And I think in terms of Hillary Clinton and I think in terms of even Kamala Harris, even though, you know, she was is our our vice president now. The reason Mm -hmm. she's our vice president is because a white man said here you and I'm grateful that he did. And it's not a jab at him. Um, It's it's a jab at us. As a, as a collective, as a country, because she dropped out very quickly. You know, I really liked Kamala and I liked Elizabeth Warren. And both mm-hmm. women did terribly. And they're both amazing women. Yeah, yeah. It's just so fucking frustrating. Yeah, and the, the more amazing I find that a woman is, the harder mm-hmm. the, the people on the right will go after them. Like yeah. Hillary, Hillary had to endure... Um, decades of attacks from the right. Decades. Yeah. And you know, when she wasn't running for something, they didn't say anything. As soon as right. she started running for something, whether it was the senator or mm-hmm. whether it was her president, you know, she, here come the attacks. Mm-hmm. And then when she was Secretary of State, they tried to hang that whole Benghazi yes. thing on her. And you know, um, it's just it's disgusting. Yeah, and unfortunately, it also bleeds into our party because. Or at least I'd say over to the left, because there were certain people on the left that just hated her guts and and treated her as if she was like Mitch McConnell or something, you know? And it was like, look, you don't, every single candidate has their pros and cons. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just like Hillary had them, you know, her pro is doing the work. Her approval ratings were always so high when she was doing the work. And then as soon as she would run for something, that's where she would, you know, I mean, aside from the misogyny and all the terrible shit that was following her for all those years, I think, you know, she said herself, look, my husband is really good at the campaign trail. And I think, I don't know if she was talking to, oh, I think she was talking about Barack Obama, that they were both really good at Mm -hmm. shaking the hands and doing all, and that's not really her thing. Her thing is the work. And right. and frankly, when you're looking, I mean, it's she's great. She's a policy wonk. Totally. They call it. Yeah, yeah, she's a total policy wonk. And everyone loved her when she was busy wonking, you know, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like when she was on the campaign trail, it hurt her. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly frustrating because I see it coming from our side. And I mean, I was somebody who supported Bernie in 2016. And I, and I don't want to go so far as to say I regret it because I did like his platform, but I think that I was, uh, you know, I know that I was taken in by a lot of that Russian disinformation that was going down for Bernie against mm-hmm. Hillary. And when I truly learned about who she was and, and her accomplishments, you know, my, my position about her changed and I never hated her. I just, I just, I have, I'm more of a progressive Democrat So the things that Bernie was saying, um, and that's why I I liked Elizabeth Warren. I like that kind of um, thinking, and and I I would like to live in a world that we have those policies that both of them talk about. Um, And that was really it. It wasn't hatred of Hillary. Can I ask you a question? Sure. People have called Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders light. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's – that? Uh, is what Elizabeth Warren is? No. In fact, I would say, actually, <laughs> I might get in trouble for this. I think Bernie Sanders is, I think it's, uh, he's Elizabeth Warren light. And I say that oh, <laughs> because because Bernie has a lot of great ideas. Mm-hmm. And Warren basically has those same ideas, except that she's got plans to back all of them up. She can yeah. explain it. I think her biggest fault 
was that she didn't get up front and in front of the whole Medicare for all. She was avoiding answering the question of how you're going to pay for it. Instead Uh, of doing that, I think she should have got right in front of it and said, yep, you're going to have higher taxes, but here's how it's going to work. You're going to save money because of this, this and this. I think, you know, like I think the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton. I don't think it hurt her per se, but I think it hurt Medicare for all when when she called uh, Medicare, Medicare for all pie in the sky. I agree with her that it's impossible to start from scratch. Like we can't just burn it all down. And then, boom, get Medicare for all. It's got to be incremental. It's got to be over time. Um, I think that she would have done better with some of the progressives like me, not the crazy ones, not the bro types. But, you know, like I listen to what people have to say, and I would have been happier if she said, look, I'm all for Medicare for all, but we got to go with the public option. And here's why. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but Warren had answers and solutions that she could explain. Bernie just would talk about the ideas. So I, I, you know, and, and I like, I like Elizabeth Warren because she, I don't know, she, she was a, a a teacher. She was, I don't know, she had this way about her that she could explain complicated subjects and make them easy to understand, Mm -hmm. you know, but, and and I eventually changed my opinion of Bernie. I don't hate him or anything like that. I just didn't feel that he would have been able to, I don't think he wouldn't have been able to get Medicare for all off the ground. And then I think what would have happened is, you know, like, for instance, if Obama ran on, he ran on the public or like he says, I'm going to get the public option. So then when he doesn't get it because of people in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, then Democrats get all pissed off at him. And so it's like. I think with Bernie, he wouldn't have been able to do it. And I think that a certain number of progressives would have blamed the entire party. And, and, and mm. I don't think it's the Democrats so much as it's just, it's just it needs to be slowly implemented over time. That's well, what's you know, it's, sense. It's, it's interesting that you bring this up because we just saw what happened when you have two, I guess we, we should call them centrist Democrats yeah. like Joe Manchin, and I don't even think you can call them center mm-hmm. centrist. They're more center right yeah. than anything. Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, yeah, uh, standing uh, against the the very popular fifteen dollar minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I bring that up because it's it's basically the same thing. You're taking a concept like Medicare for all, which theoretically would be a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I'm having a, a hell of a time with healthcare right now. My bitch about healthcare is that when I go to the doctor, mm-hmm. I, I recently went to a physical therapy session, which is supposed to be covered by my insurance, mm-hmm. right? I get there, I ask them, okay, how much is this session supposed to cost me? I'm asking the woman at the front desk, right? She's like, uh, I don't know. I They don't give me those prices. But here, here's a phone number. Call our billing department. So I said, okay, fine. Come home. <clears throat> Excuse me. I call the billing department and I ask the question and they give they give me a price like, uh, I think it was 45 bucks. I was like, great, great. Boom. Uh, six appointments later, after six six more appointments, I get a bill for seventeen hundred oh freaking god. dollars. Oh Are you kidding my me? God. Are you freaking kidding me? Wow. And it's it's all a game. It's yeah. it's all it's all part of the game. The the uh, healthcare provider sends a bill to the insurance company that's like a whopping like six thousand yeah. dollars. And then the insurance company says, Well, we're not gonna pay six thousand dollars, we'll pay four thousand dollars, and then you're stuck with two thousand dollars to pay. Like what? That's what kind of crazy. shit is this? Yeah. And you're already paying the insurance company to cover you for this shit. So, look, if if Medicare for all will take that agita away from me, <laughs> you know, when when I get a bill in the right. mail from yeah. uh, an insurance company or a hospital, and then you end up spending hours and hours on the phone with the insurance company, they say, oh, no, you got to check with the health care provider. You go to the health care mm-hmm. provider and say, oh, no, you got to check with the insurance yeah. company. And at the end of the day, you still have to pay. Yeah. So 
if Medicare for all will help me avoid that freaking nightmare <laughs> bullshit scenario, yeah, I'm all for it. But you can't, like, as you said, you can't just burn it all down yeah. and start from scratch. It has to be incremental because it's not just the 25% of, uh, of the Democratic Party or 40% that's ultra progressive mm -hmm. that wants it you have to consider everybody else these yeah. people who want their uh their employer provided right. health care they want their private health care uh and then the people on the right they don't want anything to do with it <laughs> whatsoever you have to come up with something that is going to be palatable mm -hmm. to enough people to move the needle right which means you have to water it down you have to everybody doesn't want that um uh that castor oil you know you, you gotta <laughs> water that shit down with some orange juice you know <laughs> well that's why the public option is such a great way to do it because then it does it's not a mandate it's just something you can choose you can go if you've got great you know employer health care but one of the problems with uh employee health care is that you're kind of stuck in a job if you don't if you've got a shitty boss or mm -hmm. whatever it is you're kind of stuck there for your health care and yeah. you know but it's like if, if it's incremental over time like i said like someone's gonna say all right well let's say i lost my job and now i need health care so i'm gonna go get the public option um oh hey the public option is awesome and then they tell a friend and then their friend comes on and then and then and then it really doesn't have to take a long time it could take between five and ten years and the entire country could then be on medicare for all but it, again, it would be a choice and it wouldn't be, I mean, can you imagine how many people would be out of work in the insurance industry right now if we just got rid of all of it? It would be ridiculous. There was, there's no way we, I mean, of course, something would have to be like the ACA. It would have to be set up and then implemented. But of course, there would be uh, all kinds of snags and that would draw criticism. There's going to be snags in anything you do. But like yeah. with the ACA, there were initial snags. And it doesn't mean the ACA is bad. It just means they have to fix the snags. And then I'm making them. And the whole thing about the ACA is improving on it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. that we, we Obama gave us this like template or this here, take this and now make it better. Make it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's like that's kind of the watered down version. You get the public option. But the great thing is it's not nobody is told they have to do it. It's not forced. It's volunteer. And so more people do it. More people love it. Word of mouth happens. And over a whatever period of time, it just becomes the way it goes. And, you know, mm -hmm. then eventually, yes, our taxes will go up. People in Canada, people in France, they pay higher taxes, but they don't have to pay like you're talking about the seventeen hundred right. dollar. They don't have to worry about copays. They don't have to worry about, you know, the uh, I know that before the ACA, I mean, the kind of insurance I had was so bad because I was an independent. You know, I didn't work for anybody. So mm -hmm. I, I bought insurance that basically only covered me in a you know really terrible situation. But if it's regular doctor visits and stuff, I had to pay 100 percent. So mm -hmm. and they're not cheap, you know, yeah. when you're not making a lot of money, it's very difficult. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I, I, I think I think one of the really important things, though, that Democrats have to remember, especially the ones that are coming down really hard on the Democratic Party for this. It was eight Democrats. The entire House passed the minimum wage. Yeah. The, all but eight Senate Democrats voted for the minimum wage. It's only eight. It's not the whole party. And we have to remember that. And we have to, yes, single out those Democrats who, you know, who voted against it. But the mm -hmm. only answer, the only answer is to elect more Democrats. That's it. Yeah. I think that you tweeted that. And it's like we're not going to we've got a very slim majority right now. It's very it's like fucking razor, razor thin majority. Yeah. So, it's barely a majority. Yeah. It's barely. So we have to improve. I mean, we lost a lot in the House in 2020. So we yeah. have to get that back. And the only way we're going to do it, and it's like, I don't know that we're going to be able to do the minimum wage before 2022 just because of those eight Democrats. So um, and if we want to get that minimum wage, we need to elect more Democrats. The answer is not to bitch and complain and scream that the Democrats are useless and can't do anything and then give up because then it's just going to be Republicans. Well, I'll tell you this. This is I'm I'm calling it now. The only way that's going to happen is that we have to 
excuse me, elect more progressive yeah. uh, candidates. Yeah. Like, let's say the, uh, for instance, the the race in Kentucky to go against Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. right? Um, what was her name? Amy, what? That went, uh, Amy, Amy McGrath, McGrath yeah. right? And who was her competitor? Was it Booker? Was it, I want to say I Charles Booker? I think it was Booker? Charles Booker, yeah. Yeah. So Charles Booker was the progressive mm-hmm. running to the left of Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath um, went and she got shellacked she by, by Mitch McConnell. Um, at the end of the day, any Democrat should have been able to beat Mitch McConnell. But there was a loud chorus from the left, and I don't disagree with them, that said, oh, maybe you should have picked a more progressive uh, candidate yeah. there. Really, uh, but somebody as horrible as Mitch McConnell, I would think I could, you know, draw a smiley face on a, on a can <laughs> and and elect that over Mitch McConnell. Um, but yeah, so there was, uh, there was a, a large... Uh, a, a large number of people who felt like, you know, um, progressives did not were, were not um, fairly represented mm-hmm. in uh, in the 2020 uh, 2020 election. So we're yeah. not going anywhere without um, progressive support. We well, won't. I think I think that I mean, look, I preferred Booker and I was actually quite disappointed in the way McGrath handled herself especially with Mitch McConnell, when she didn't call him out for laughing. Um, I can't remember what he was laughing at. It was something having to do with COVID or something like that. And he was laughing and she just didn't say anything. And I feel like, okay, that's a really deep red state. And for a Democrat to win there, they have to, they have to know what they're doing and they have to really be able to, to get the, that vote. But I think in the overall picture, Democrats, what Democrats fail to do is sell the party. There's, there's all kinds of things that we can sell. What, you know, for instance, and, and I'll say like the one trillion relief package, one point nine mm-hmm. trillion relief package. Democrats right now, voters are saying, oh, you know, it's just fourteen hundred dollars. I'm just getting fourteen hundred dollars because there was a, there was a Washington Post article that it said something. I can't remember how they phrased it, but it was like the way they phrased it made it seem like there, there was really, it was like a huge big boon to getting people out of poverty. And a lot of people yeah. were like, bullshit, I'm only getting 1400, but here's the deal. There was the 1400 stimulus, but then there was $300 a week for jobless benefits, child allowance up to $3,600, 35 billion for state and local aid, 34 billion for ACA subsidi- subsidies, 14 billion for vaccine distribution and hundred percent Cobra subsidies. So this is a huge big deal this is yeah. not just about getting 14 dollars an hour and yes i totally agree i would we should have 15 dollars an hour it should have happened a long ass time ago and frankly it should be 25 dollars an hour but yeah. um but let you know democrats need to sell they didn't do that in 2014 with the aca they didn't sell it they stayed away from it they didn't sell obama they didn't sell what he was doing they were they shied away because in my opinion they allowed people like mitch mcconnell to intimidate them don't say anything about the black president it's like uh, no yeah. you got to got to tell everybody the, all the good that he's doing and and mm-hmm. how much they're benefiting from the uh, aca and so i agree with you that we need you know like in some cases like i worry about primarying somebody like joe manchin because it's deep state I mean, deep red state what yeah. if a what if a Republican wins? I mean, and and while they right, may be, we'll cent- be yeah, it's like yeah. if they may be center right, the Democrats right now, but we might get another Marjorie Taylor Greene in these states. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, and, and so I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what the answer is. It's like, do we primary them with more progressive Democrats that in a place like West Virginia they might not be taken seriously at all? Like, I really like Charles Booker and. The thing about Booker, I, I don't even know if he was capable of doing it, but Bernie had a really, he was really good. Like he went to West Virginia and he talked to a group of voters who were Republican and Trump voters actually. And he got them to all like, yay, 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 Medicare for all. He knew how to convince them. So I would like to see re- the progressives who know how to talk to these kinds of voters yeah. So that they feel like, oh, this will help me. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Because it's like they, it's so tribal. You know, we're seeing such a tribal thing. And obviously, you know, there's there's the racism, there's the sexism, there's the bigotry, and the Republican Party plays into all of that. And so uh, a, a really talented progressive knows how to break through that and, and say, look, if you want to if you want affordable health care, here's how we do it. And so I'm kind of like on the fence with, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what the answer is, except that we just have to make sure more Democrats win, period in order to overcome some of the, you know, red state Democrats who are kind of conservative. Well, the reason I say we need um, more progressives uh, involved uh, running for uh, running for uh, a, a seat in Congress is because uh, right now, if if we get to 2022 and we have not enacted enough um, enough policies that are attractive to progressives enough and we haven't uh, nominated enough progressives that matter to to that wing of the party mm-hmm. they're gonna be like you know what you guys told us to uh, to just jump in and help kick out the the orange bad man and we did and now you're kicking us to mm-hmm. the side and then they're just going to be like, screw you. Yeah. This is not 2018. Right. You know, and then where will we be? We'll, we'll see, lose I, even more seats. I would go for I would be all for a progressive to primary um, Diane Feinstein in California. Like, I oh, think yeah. I think that the, a progressive uh, somebody like Booker would get so much farther in California than he might in Kentucky. But that's not to say that I don't think we should have progressives or Democrats or whatever running in these red states. But it's just we, we I think they have to be. And I agree with you that we have to make progressive progressives feel which i consider myself to be a progressive it's just that i understand that okay you can only do so much you have to work with what what's available and what's Mm -hmm. going on and right now because sexism white supremacy and bigotry are so big on the other side you know i mean it's like they're so far right that that the democratic party we have to take that into account we have to figure out how to work with it so that we can make it work for us and that's it's difficult you know and i mean i think you know i i go back and forth between feeling like uh hopeful <laughs> and uh, not hopeful uh-huh. at all you know what I mean? it's like i think we can pull it off but we have to be all so unified and it can't yeah. just be about you have to please me as a progressive as much as i'm a progressive and i don't like joe manchin I don't mm-hmm. like the guy, but I feel like, well, I think he only votes with the party 40% of the time, but 40% is better than zero, you know? And so it's like, what do you do? Like, how do you, And I, again, I agree that the, that you want to keep everybody happy, but I also think that if the Democrats would just focus on educating the public and reaching out for, there's half the country doesn't vote. It's such a huge mm-hmm. pool of people. If we could just grab like 1% of those you know, yeah. of those people and convince them here. And that's why I think there should be an education campaign that, you know, as uh, everything that whatever Stacey Abrams did, do that. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, we need more Stacey Abrams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever she did, do that. And then, and then, and then aside from that, we need kind of like this existential, uh, not so much existential. I think there's like a, an existential argument or a psychology, like a, Republicans use psychology to mm-hmm. get, you know, whip up the hate and all of that and the fear. I think Democrats could do the same thing, but if they're going to use fear, it's like th- do what Al Gore did, you know, use, say, look, hey, the planet's in trouble. Uh, yeah. you, or, you know, your vote is in trouble or whatever it is. Fear that way, not fear of others, not fear of other people who are different right. than you are. Um, but I think the same idea of psychology could be used and, it would have to, you know, grab, they have to grab the attention of people who don't vote. One benefit, though, is young people are, are more and more interested in the political process. It's because things are uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're, they, they've got all this college debt, student debt. They're worrying about being shot up in school. I mean, when you went to school, were you worried about a gunman coming in and killing you? I no, never, that, I never thought about it. Not at all. We didn't have any drills, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, 
safety drills, uh, sh- live shooter drills. There was no such thing. We never had to worry about that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just not entirely new world. Yeah. So I'm hoping that younger people, because of the discomfort that we're all feeling, you know, uh, but then I'll go back to, I think though, this, this trillion, nine, 1.9 trillion relief package, it's going to take a little while, but people are going to start feeling it. They're going to start seeing the benefits of it. And I'm hoping. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. I think they said, is this the second largest bill ever? I'm not sure, but sounds. I I think it is. The first one was that damn uh, monstrosity that went to the millionaires and the billionaires. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I mean, hopefully the people who are going to be benefiting, which will be so many Americans uh, from this bill, from this relief package, will recognize that in 2022. But I still think Democrats need to be like, hey, we did this. You have this yes. because of us. And, yes. you know, not not allow the Republicans to lie and, and have their lie be the thing that everybody listens to. I'll I'll say this right. Um, as as much as I despised uh, Donald Trump, and I, I think uh, it goes without saying, I, I definitely did not like the man. Uh, uh, he was really good at taking credit for shit that yeah. he had no business taking credit for. Yeah. Now, on on the flip side, we need to be taking credit yes. for the shit that we are totally. responsible for, and. And put that on blast. Mm-hmm. Don't just like, you know, don't let it occupy a few headlines mm-hmm. in the month of March and then forget all about it. We need to trumpet that horn yeah. nonstop. Every every horn that needs to be trumpeted, the uh, the for instance, the the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden is yeah. almost at a hundred million oh vaccines. It's not he's it hasn't even hit the hundred day mark yet. Wow. That's massive. I know. Oh, my God. And I saw that you posted that, you know, vaccinated grandparents are going to be able to hug their grandchildren. That's huge. It's, it is. That's it's amazing. Because I, I read the replies on my tweets, and there's a, so many people who have been saying ever since March, or was it March or April yeah, March. of last year, that they were saying they miss yeah. hugging their grandchildren. That's yeah. like the A number one thing you know, complaint yeah. during this pandemic, the lockdown. Yeah. It's tremendous. Wow. And you know what? I want to say this because I was under the wrong impression, but uh, I was under the impression that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine only had like 75%, uh, only protected you up to 75% or something. So I just read an article last night. I think it was ABC news. And I think I mm-hmm. po- I'm pretty sure I posted it, but it, it explained that initially I, I don't remember the details, but let's say you get your 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 dose because it's only one dose with Johnson and Johnson, and I think yeah. for a s- short period of time you're protected up to seventy five percent, but then it goes up to eighty. By a month and a half, you're prote- you're protected by ninety percent. So mm. I didn't know that. I I only heard the seventy. Wait, what is it? What is it? A time release kind of thing? I think it just builds. I think your your uh, system builds up the immunity to it, or whatever the word is, the antibodies, or whatever it is that huh. you, you become more protected. Um, I because I know that with the two doses, when you get your second shot, I think it's probably about two weeks, ten mm-hmm. days to fourteen days before you're like, okay, now you're fully immunized. Um, so I think it just takes a little bit longer with, mm-hmm. because the second shot pretty much acts as a booster. Um, but you don't get that booster with Johnson Johnson. You just get the straight up thing. So I think the, the time is actually the same if, as if you were going to get like two shots by 90%, but it's just the one shot. So, um, but I was worried about that because I thought, I know that, uh, Johnson and Johnson just coupled with Merck and Biden said by the end of May, the mm-hmm. vaccine will be available for all for all adults. So I was thinking, okay, but I don't want the vaccine that's only seventy five percent effective. <laughs> I want the one that's ninety percent effective. And um, and I thought, well, that's going to be. It's like Johnson and Johnson will be everywhere. So, but when I learned that, you know, really in the time frame, it's the same amount of protection. It's just instead of two shots, it's one. Uh, I was like, oh, so i'm grateful so that makes me excited because i know that you know the cdc just said when you're fully vaccinated you can 
be with your family and your friends indoors with no masks. The only thing is, is when you're outside and when you're doing your stuff, you still need to wear masks. So because yeah, because you don't know who's you know who's uh, immunized and who's exactly. Not. And you could you could have it. You could be carrying something that could pass it along, even though you won't get sick. You could have the germ and pass it along. And so um, you know, and you're right. The anti-vaxxers are going to make it more difficult. But at least the people who are getting vaccinated, they're not going to they're going to be able to go and have their family celebrations, you know, that we haven't been able to have. You know what I'm a little bit worried about is that um, that new strain, I I should say, I'm saying that new strain, it's several new strains, one from South Africa, one from uh, I think it's South America, like, you know, from. A lot of these other places that there's yeah. new strains. There's another one from the UK. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I haven't heard any update on the efficacy of these vaccines and dealing with those variant strains. You know, what uh, I've heard I, is I, they I, offer some protection. And I uh, that's you know what? That's not coming from Fauci. So don't you know, don't write that down. But I've heard mm-hmm. that perhaps the vaccines can help like i think the way they would help is that if you do get the variant that maybe you don't get as sick or maybe Uh you're less likely to get the variant if you've been vaccinated but you could still get it i I don't know but i think i think that's the thinking on it but don't quote me Uh okay but yeah the variants scare the shit out of me (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but still it's we're at a very exciting yes uh, period of time right now where we've been locked down yeah for almost a year and we're you know we're right there right on the edge of being able to run outside and play again mm-hmm. <laughs> and but we we have these knuckle-headed governors yeah. like greg abbott and the dude from mississippi yeah um who are opening shit up again i know i know it's unbelievable i mean we're so close we're so it's, freaking close it's not gonna work unless everybody plays the same game yeah, it's and not then work. I know you saw you had to have seen that horrible video circulating of parents letting their kids burn masks. Burn the masks. Oh. Yeah, it's idiotic, unreal. It's just so sad that there. It's such a huge part of this country that is it is idiocracy, and it's it's upsetting. You know, I yeah. mean, but I don't know. We'll we'll just have to like take it as it comes. I guess you know we'll we'll get vaccinated. I think a lot of people are going to be getting vaccinated. Like, for instance, I have a family member who is a, was a Trump supporter. Uh-huh. I don't know. How, yeah. I mean, now she's I don't know. who she, I don't know who she supports now. <laughs> like, Is she a Trump? I mean, she, she probably still does support Trump. I have no idea her opinion of the insurrection. I haven't <laughs> talked with her, but I, I at least think she's going to get a vaccine because her husband has diabetes. And I think they you know, they're both they both have whatever issues so I don't, you know, I would assume that they're going to get it, but I don't know because I haven't talked to them. So, mm. you know, I, I don't talk to them very often, but, you know, fortunately when I do talk with her, she, we don't talk about politics, yeah. but, but yeah, there's this like, we have to, and it's really hard, but what's, what's really difficult now is like, now since this insure- insurrection happened, I was like, I don't know where she stands on this. I don't know if she's like, if she thinks it's okay or if she thinks that it was Antifa or something like that. I don't know. And I really don't ever want to know because if I find out, I don't know that I could even, I, I don't, I mean, it's such a, such a hard thing with these family situations. You know, it's just, it's very difficult. People that I know my uncle life, is a Trump supporter. My uncle. Yeah. yeah my aunt. My uncle is a Trump supporter. Unreal. <sighs> Crazy. Well, look, I know you got to get running and I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show again. I always love talking to you. I love your oh, Twitter you. feed. It's so fun. Um, What's that? I love your Twitter feed. Ah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so I just, before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Okay, so I'm not sure if you're aware. I've been doing, uh, since March 21st of last year, I was doing a show, a live show, daily, Monday through Friday, on Periscope, and it was called Storytime with BDD. <laughs> and... You know, it basically we cover the uh, current events, the news of the previous 24 hours. Yeah. And at the end of the show, I do a a brief reading from my book, The Littlest President. (laughs) So since 
since um, Periscope is shutting down on oh. March 31st, this March 31st, I had to figure out somewhere else to bring my show. So I put it on. I'm now on YouTube. Oh, and cool. I stream I stream live every day. Uh, if you type in Brooklyn Dad Defiant on YouTube, uh, you can subscribe to my show and you'll get a notification when I go live. It's every day at uh, like 5.45 p.m. Very cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and and uh, my Twitter feed is M-M-P-A-D-E-L-L-A-N. Awesome. Well, I'm yes. going to put that in your in the uh, Patreon description of the show. And Thank then, you. of course, you can also find me that my email or I'm sorry, my uh, Twitter handle is also in the Patreon description. But just in case it's author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. You can also find my books just like you can find uh, your books on Amazon. Just enter my name and you'll see all my books. And if you get one of our books and you like them, please give them a review because authors need good reviews of books and we would really appreciate it. But thank you That's again right. for being on the show. I, I love talking to you. Same here, Kimberly. It's always a pleasure. Well, you take care. You too.